Everything that God does, everything that he creates is meant to multiply. It's meant to grow. And when we worship him, that's what we're asking him to do in each and every one of you as individuals, but also collectively as a whole. God, whatever you're doing in us, continue to do it in a way that it would, that it would begin to go out to other people and bring hope and life and peace and love and forgiveness. Amen? Amen. All right, awesome. Hey, before I get started tonight, first just want to welcome you. If you're new, welcome. Uh, love to have you here. We're, this whole year we have a focus on prayer. In the first uh, month in February, we've launched what we call 3 by 3 prayer. Uh, there's bracelets still over here if you're still wanting to get bracelets. Uh, talk to somebody afterwards, myself or somebody else, about 3 by 3 prayer if you still don't know what that is. But Morgan is going to testify as to a little bit of the story of what he's experienced in this as he's been doing this for actually a few months now. So take it away, Morgan. All right. Okay. So um, I was asked to participate in 3 by 3 prayer, and I was very kind of hesitant at the, at the bare minimum um, at first. And the instructions I were given was... Um, Pray for me. This person asked me to pray for him um, once a day for 30 days for three minutes a day. And I was like, okay, well, that's definitely not how my prayer life had been at that time. My prayer life had been more self-focused, more focused on my family, um, that kind of thing. And the instructions were also um, don't, I wasn't actually given anything to pray for specifically. So it was kind of like sit with a quiet head, wait for God to kind of put something there for you to actually pray for that person for. And I'm like, well, I don't really talk to God that way, right? So I, I actually, I'm like, okay, well, I'll try it. So I tried it once, and at the end of like those three minutes, I got a word. And it was a word that didn't make any sense in the context of my day, in the context of my current thought. And I'm like, God, is this what you want me to pray for for this person? Um, and of course, he didn't answer, but I'm like, hey, it's probably true. It's probably that God wanted me to pray for that because there's no way that I would have had that word on my heart or in my mind if I hadn't done that. And so I prayed for it. I felt a little odd about it. Um, and the amazing thing was over that 30 days that I prayed for that person, every single day I asked God for a word, and every single day he gave me something. He gave me a word. He gave me a feeling. He gave me an instinct to pray for this person. And it was amazing. It kind of cha fundamentally changed the way I pray um, and fund fundamentally changed my prayer life in the same instance. Um, the one thing I can kind of say about that is it actually allows you to intercede for someone on someone's behalf to God in a way that they might not even have thought that they needed because they're not actually saying, hey, pray for this for me. I'm actually asking God's actually giving me something to pray for them. So it's, it's kind of a beautiful thing that it allows you to actually bear a bit of the burden for them um, in your prayer life, things that are going on in their life to be able to say, hey, you know, God, what do you want me to pray for this person? And then actually do that. And it's amazing to see what he's done through that um, 30 days in praying that. It was kind of like, because I didn't have any kind of clue on, on what was going on, I actually checked in with this person and said, hey, these are the things I've been praying for you with. Is it cool if I share them with you, or would you like me to share them with you? And the person said yes, um, and I was kind of excited about that because I'm like, hey, is this actually working? Is there anything that I'm actually doing that's making sense? Um, and so I did that, and he's like, wow, this is amazing. These are th all these things are spot on. So it might not be what they're thinking at the time, but I guarantee you those people will love to receive that kind of prayer um, as you pray for them. Good. 
Very good. You got more? So, oh, no, I was just going to say, and, and to, to do it, I mean, think about, and when you ask someone to pray, I and mean, that's free prayer. What's better than that, right? Free. Everybody <laughs> right. likes free stuff. Right, exactly. <laughs> so asking someone to pray for you is, is pretty amazing because you don't know what God will do in your life and their life by allowing them to actually do that for you. So. Amen. Very good. You just take it. Put it over there. All right, awesome. So that's three by three prayer. It's something we're going to be doing all year long, and it's meant to constantly multiply to other people. Again, ask myself, ask people at the 10-minute party. Uh, there's videos on YouTube about this, all kinds of places you can learn about it so that you can do it all year long. For the month of March, what we're doing is we're making a prayer focus on our family and our, and our uh, kids uh, in our inner circle, Okay. And every Wednesday night, the first Wednesday night of every month, we have a church-wide prayer meeting, and that's where we actually talk about these prayer focuses, train people, equip people, and model it there, so that then you can do that all month long. And in the month of March, what we're doing is called prayer texting. You might ask, what the heck is prayer texting, right? Everything is texting these days, so uh, prayer texting is simply sitting down that three, five minutes, quiet before God, saying, God, what do you want me to pray for this person? And as thoughts or words come to you, you just begin to text them. And then once you feel good about that prayer and that text, you send it to them. Send it to your wife, send it to your husband, send it to your kids, have your kids pray for you. Ultimately, every one of these exercises almost all involve not only you praying, but inviting others to pray with you. So that this becomes very much a family thing, a body thing, a church-wide thing. And it creates a movement of God in our church through prayer, and then it'll extend to other areas of our church. So again, more questions about that. We'll do training Wednesday night. Uh, you can talk to me again. Uh, there's videos on all this stuff and also at the 10-minute party. So I hope you enjoy that. Okay, so we're preaching through the book of John, the Gospel of John. And what I'd like to start off by doing, first of all, is just talking about John. Um, it's, especially if you've been a Christian a while, it's too easy and too simple to, to get into a rut of, reading the Gospels and thinking you know them so well that it, you just kind of skip over everything. And I want you to just step back for a moment and think about who John was when he wrote this. He was late in his life, and he had lived a great life. But the thing of it is about John, if you can imagine this, almost everybody who joined Jesus, when the time he joined, right? He joined Jesus at the very beginning. And there were 12 others there were 72 others, and then there were whole crowds that knew Jesus and followed Jesus and experienced all that whole life. And then the book of Acts, John was very much an integral part of all this. And by the time that he's writing the Gospel of John, almost every one of his friends and people who followed Jesus with him had either been crucified, stoned, imprisoned, or died off. He alone was probably one of the very last original followers of Jesus. One of the very last people to actually know Jesus physically and personally, whereas now the whole move of Jesus was being followed by people who had never actually met Jesus. Imagine being in that spot. And what he began to see was all kinds of newcomers coming into this movement of Jesus, and some of them were beginning to teach false things. Some of them were beginning to get a false idea of who Jesus was and what the movement of Jesus was all about, and so he writes this gospel. And when John starts off, right, he first started following John the Baptist, the Baptist movement. And this was a radical movement. 
very radical. John had left his fishing job. He too, was, him and his brother James, grew up in the same town as Peter and Andrew. And they were both fishermen. Both of these families were fishing families. And he had already left his nets to follow after this prophet that he had heard was baptizing and preaching the kingdom of God out on the Jordan uh, River. Now you gotta get this. When John the Baptist went to the Jordan River, it's like if somebody today were to go to Plymouth Rock and to begin to proclaim a new United States of America, to begin to proclaim that everybody in the United States has, has turned away from the Constitution. We've completely lost track of what we're doing as a nation as it was originally founded. And he begins to proclaim this restart movement. That's what the kingdom of God message was about. And that's why he was calling all of Israel to repent. Up until that time, the only time people were called to repent and be baptized were if you were a Gentile and you needed to be brought into the nation of Israel and the covenant of Israel that they had with God. But John came saying, no, all of Israel must repent. The time of the new covenant is upon us. And the one to bring it is greater than me and he's coming soon. Prepare your hearts. And John had joined that movement. And John was there the day Jesus got baptized. He was there. He heard the sound and the voice of God. And then finally one day John identified and said, you remember me talking about this one greater than I? There he is. He's the Lamb of God. He's going to be the one to not only take away Israel's sins, but the sins of the world. And so John began to follow after Jesus as Jesus walked out. And then Jesus, a little bit down the road, looked around and saw John following, and he asked him this question. What do you want? What do you want? Another English translation says, what do you seek? And what you understand about that word seek or desire, it's a Hebrewism. It means, what do you worship? Who do you worship? You see, worship is about what do you desire the most? Whatever you desire the most, you will worship. Whatever you seek the most, you will worship. And Jesus' first question to John when he thought about following Jesus was, what do you seek? What do you desire? And John's writing the story so as to represent that question to the new followers of Jesus. And then ultimately here 2,000 years later, to represent that question to you. I want to present a little idea with you for a second. I have a magic box. You can't see it. That's why it's magic. It's up here. And if you enter this box, your greatest desires will all come true. Okay? Sounds like maybe a good idea. Maybe exciting. But think about it. So one of the ladies out of the crowd comes up here and she gets in the box and maybe she's got a bunch of kids. And so she's thinking in her mind, you know, my greatest desire is all my children. And man, I've got all these things that I hope for my children. So if I enter this box, then all these things are gonna happen for my kids. But she enters the box. But unbeknownst to her, what happens is some man who had raped her dies. Because really what her greatest desire was was for revenge and death to somebody who had abused her. You realize what the magic box is? It reveals your true heart. It reveals the true depth 
of what you really desire. And quite frankly, most of us probably do not know what that really is. And so when Jesus asked John the question, what do you seek? What do you desire? It was a penetrating question for him and for us. And that's why John is writing this gospel. Put up that first verse for us. John starts off, or he doesn't start off, but at the end of his book, he gives his very purpose as to why he's writing this book. And again, remember, everyone's been crucified. Everyone's been stoned. His partner, Peter, crucified. His brother died, was stoned and and, and killed in that manner. Every one of them had been killed off. He says, now listen, he he wrote the whole book, and this is in the 20th chapter, the end of the book. He says, now Jesus performed many other miraculous signs. In other words, all his gospel is filled with all these mighty works that Jesus had done. And he says, it was done in the presence of his disciples, meaning I was there. I saw it. I hear what a lot of people are saying today, but I was there. I saw it. He said, many of them, though, are not written in this book. But the ones that are recorded are recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the king, is the true Christ that the Old Testament had proclaimed to come. He is that true son of God that God would give all power and authority to be able to rule over heaven and earth. This Jesus in whom I met, This Jesus in whom I followed, this Jesus who looked at me one day a long time ago and said, what do you desire? I found out that John the Baptist was right. He is the one. And everything I'm writing to you is so that you would come to understand him. Not just believe for the sake of believing as a stagnant belief, but to know the very heart, to know the very nature of this king, of this Jesus, so that you can truly desire what he desires, and do what he did, and to live like he lived. And that was his promise. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. To have life in Jesus' name is to have the life of Christ. Everywhere he went, he performed mighty miracles. Everywhere you go, you should see the power of God on display. Your prayers should become powerful and God moving through them and answering them to transform each other's lives. Just again, this full prayer text thing, right? No big deal, just texting out a little prayer, right? One day I was doing this. A few years back, a friend of mine texted me and said, hey, can I talk to you? And as soon as he said that, a thought came to me, you know what, I feel like his back's hurt. So I just texted back, in Jesus' name, let your back be healed now. And he texts back, are you kidding me? How did you even know my back was hurt? And better than that, all the pain just left my back. Just a little text. God answers texts. He moves in text. Everywhere I've ever lived, I've seen demons cast out of people. Everywhere I go, I've seen people get up and walk that could not walk before. Every one of you are meant to live in the life of Jesus to follow this movement. Can you imagine John? Again, Jesus one day called John and his brother the sons of thunder because they were so passionate and fiery and many times misinformed. 
And all through the gospel, John is exposing himself and the other disciples that they really didn't get who Jesus was until the very end. So as to reveal to the newcomers and ultimately to reveal to you, not only to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, but to believe the nature, the culture of the kingdom, and to know how to enter that life and to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the resurrection, to overcome sin in your life and to lead others into that same freedom. Jesus said, whosoever believeth in me, the works that I do, you will do also. We've got to seek him. This is a movement. This isn't come to Sunday church and, okay, I got my fill for the week. This is a movement we enter into, and therefore, what do you seek the most? What do you really desire the most? Do you want to see God's kingdom and his rule and his power and his love come to you and come to other people the most? Or do you have other alternative things? If you entered the magic box, and maybe up on the screen it revealed what it was to everybody here. Think about it. How many of you are ready to enter the box and have that revealed? To not only you, but to everyone. That's the key. That's the key to praying and saying, God, if there's any wicked way in me, expose it. Reveal it. Show me my blind spots. Show me how I'm not loving my wife. Show me how I'm not loving my kids. Show me, God, why the Spirit of God is not moving through me like I read in the New Testament. You see, we're praying and seeking for more than just little prayers. We're seeking for the movement of Jesus to continue in our day. That we would see what they saw. We would have the life that they had. Fourth chapter of John. He tells this story about meeting a Samaritan woman. And I'm not going to probably go through it all because I don't have a lot of time left. But the Samaritan woman had been married, I believe it was four or five times, and she currently was living with a man whom she had not married. Now think about this. First of all, there's tension between Jews and Samaritans. I think most of you know this. Samaritans were the people, the poor people, left in the land of Israel. When the Babylonians came and destroyed Israel and carried off all the rich, carried off all the, the wealthy, carried off all the wise and the educated, and what did they leave? They only left the peasants that had no value to them. They were the only ones left in the land, and then the Babylonians shipped in a bunch of other people from other nations they had conquered into the land, and these people intermarried. That's the Samaritans. And so they began to settle into the land. It's like, great, all the houses are empty. I'm going to move right in. Poor peasant, I just get to pick one of these rich guys' houses that got carried off. But then when the rich people came back, they're like, wait a minute, you're in my house. No, 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 it ain't your house no more. And so there began to be war between the Samaritans and the Jews. And this existed all the way into the time of Jesus. So when Jesus comes and he's sitting at the well, right? He's traveled about 20 miles that day. Thirsty. Walk 20 miles and see how hungry and thirsty you are if you had no water, no food. He's wanting some water. And the Samaritan woman comes in the middle of the day because she's a woman of ill repute. 
She would normally come in the morning or the, in the evenings. That's when everybody would come. But she came in the middle of the day because she didn't want to interact with people for, for fear of shame and guilt for what her life had been. But something very different back in that culture. If a woman had been married four or five times, guess what? She didn't divorce them. They divorced her. Which meant she was probably a woman who had been passed around. You see, this was kind of a, a loophole in the Jewish law. Well, hmm, I'm not real happy with my wife, and I kind of like to sleep with this woman. But that would be adultery, and I might get in trouble for that. So I'll just quickly divorce this wife and marry this one. And then when I'm done with her, I'll divorce her and go back. All legal. <laughs> she had become a throwaway wife. That's who she was. She had been thrown away and thrown away and thrown away, and man after man took advantage of her. And now here's this Jewish guy who has nothing, usually nothing to do with Samaritans, won't even talk to them, usually won't even come their way. And Jesus says, would you give me something to drink? And she looks at a little Jew boy. Little Jew boy, what are you doing? I'm a Samaritan woman. What you talking to me for? Oh, because you need something? Just like all the other men in my life have needed something? You see, she's bitter. She's angry, and, and for good reason. But Jesus doesn't avoid the issue. What do we do? With all the hot-button issues that are out there in our culture, at work, and all these places, we like to keep quiet, don't we? We don't like to stir the pot, do we? But not Jesus. See, what kind of Jesus are you following? He looked at her and put himself in a place of need. Can I have a drink of water? What are you talking to me for? And then Jesus looks back at her and he says this. Well, she says, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water to drink? For Jews use nothing and have nothing in common with the Samaritans. And then Jesus answered her back and he says, if you had known the gift of God and who it is that said to you, give me some water to drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said to him, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Very snide remark. Surely you're not greater than our ancestor Jacob, are you? You see her perspective of Jesus? Just a Jew boy who's looking to use her. And Jesus enters into those deep waters, enters into that conversation with her because he wants to see her receive living water. He was not afraid. And he says, For he gave us this well and drank from it himself along with his sons and his livestock. And Jesus replied, Everyone who drinks some of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I'll not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Imagine drawing water, a bucket or two, and then having to travel two miles back to your town. That's, that's what the scenario was here. You, all your lives are pretty cushy, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, now all of a sudden, Jesus says, 
He says to her, go call your husband and come back here. And the woman replied, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, right, you have said. I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the man you're now living with is not your husband. See, he's not avoiding the issue. He's speaking to it in love. He's speaking to it in truth in order to set her free from her shame and from this endless cycle of being the woman who was used and abused. This you have said, uh, this you have said truthfully. Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Notice, Jew boy, now all of a sudden, whoa, wait a minute. There's something to this guy that's different. Are you a prophet? See, every one of you have been called to be prophets. Every one of you have been called to be priests. Every one of you, whether you know it or not, are a king. A co-ruler with Christ meant to bring the rule of God to this earth and to the people who are hurting in it. And if you don't know who you are and how to walk in that calling, then what's the world to do? What are other people to see or to believe? They'll just see a bunch of Jew boys. I hope nobody takes that too racist, okay? I'm not trying to be racist here. I'm, I'm going by the racism that was going on in the day. People need to see you for more than just the color of your skin. They need to see you for more than just being a Christian. They need to see living waters flowing out of you. And until there's a movement of prayer in the church, until there's a movement of seeking God's face for one another and for these things to happen in us and through us, you'll have no living water to give. You might have some facts and figures. You might be able to tell them what you believe, but it's not living water unless it's empowered by the Spirit. Unless there's a flow of life that actually penetrates the heart and all of a sudden changes a person's perspective. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Now all of a sudden she's going theological controversy on him. Our fathers worship on this mountain and you say that people uh, must worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus says to her, believe me woman, a time is coming when you'll worship uh, the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You, people will worship you people worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to be his worshipers. Remember the call of John? What do you worship? What do you desire? What are you really seeking for, John? John? You're thinking about following me because of what you heard, but I'm asking you, what are you really after? That's who the Father seeks. The Father is looking at every heart, every life. He knows every thought. He knows what you really desire, and he's seeking for people who want to give him all of themselves to him and to become his follower. Now notice the woman. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, which is the Hebrew for Christ. The one is called Christ. And whenever he comes, he'll tell us everything. And Jesus, on very rare occasion, does this, but he does it with this woman. He comes right out with it, and he says, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I am that king you're waiting on. I am that one to reveal to you everything that you've been longing to know and understand. And a few verses down, she goes back to her village and begins to tell people, no longer ashamed. 
She's hiding out at the time at the well. But now she's got a boldness. Something has stirred in her, and now she's going throughout her town saying, listen, there's a man I met. There's a man I met. Now you all know me. I've met lots of men, and they've all discarded me. I am shameful in in all of you in my village, but I met another kind of man. And he's not just a man. I believe, could he actually be the one we've been waiting for? And pretty soon, others begin to go out to meet Jesus. And all the way, this movement continues. John was a part of a movement. This is what he lived for. He lived it his whole life. If you go to the book of Acts, Chapter 8, you'll have to do it on your own. Persecution breaks out in Jerusalem and the church scatters. John and them are hiding out in Jerusalem. His friends are being killed. Persecution is breaking out and many from Jerusalem spread out across the land, getting out of there because Paul, who was then Saul, was killing them. And it says Philip went down to Samaria And he began to preach Jesus as the Christ to them. And he began to cast out devils and to heal the sick. And many were putting their faith in Jesus. But they had not yet received the Spirit, so they called upon Peter and John. Now remember, John got to be a part of the baptizing of John the Baptist. He heard that the one greater to come was going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. And then a little bit later, he's following Jesus, and he's actually now baptizing people in Jesus' name. But he's yet to experience this, where he gets to lay his hands on people, and they get baptized in the Spirit. They get full. They receive the living waters, the very gift of God that's going to transform them. And so John now gets to go down to Samaria and do this. And I don't know for sure, But it was probably on that visit that he must have came across this woman. Because how else would he know the story? Jesus never told him. Could it be that when he went down there and began to pray for people to receive the Spirit, that he came across that very same woman? And she says, you don't understand. I met Jesus about six years ago. And he told me everything I ever wanted to know. And I gave my life to him then, and I'm gladly receiving the Spirit today. See, that's how a movement starts. The seeds begin to be planted. Truth begins to be spoken. Hearts begin to be opened up. And through time, different people at different places in time begin to come to know this Jesus as he really is in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to enter the movement. You see, the church is not this building. It's not even just you people at random. It's only when we come together with one heart and one mind to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we become his church and we become the continuation of the movement of John, of the movement of Jesus, of the movement of the apostles all the way to our time. Why not now? Why not us? But we've got to begin to pray for one another. Father, fill us with the Spirit. Teach us how to walk in the Spirit. Teach us how not to grieve the Holy Spirit by the way that we treat one another, the way we talk about one another, 
by not walking and living in the life of Jesus according to his name. In other words, to live the life according to the Jesus name means everything you say, everything you do, it would be the way Jesus would do it. See, in other words, if I, if I said, hey, I'm an owner of a company, and I said, hey, tell them that me, David, the owner of the company, says thus and so, and you go do it, you're doing it in the authority of the owner of that company. You're telling them what the owner wants, and you're doing it in a manner that I would do it in. And Jesus is saying, I give you my power. I give you my authority. In fact, I give you my name. Now go. What you bind, I'll bind. What you loose, I'll loose. What you ask for, I'll give. If you desire me more than anything. Isn't that what Jesus said? Seek ye first the kingdom, and everything else is going to be given to you. Jesus says, the kingdom is like a man who, who traded in pearls. He knew pearls, and he knew the value of pearls. And he came into this field and found a pearl of such great value that he went and sold all the other ones that he had in order to possess this one of such great value. Until you see Jesus and his kingdom and the life that he's calling you to, like that great pearl, then you don't know the life of the kingdom. You're not experiencing it. You're not living it. You're not seeing it come to other people because the pearl has not been revealed. You've got other desires. You've got other wants. Yeah, maybe a little bit of Jesus, but I got a lot of other stuff too. What would that look like? What would that look like for you? What would that look like for us collectively? Could it start out as something as simple as like a three-by-three three prayer? Where you get three, and I get three, and then those people get three, and those people get three, and then we begin to text our family and tell them how much we love them and praying for each other, and the next month we do other things to focus in on praying for one another and praying that God would reveal the, the secret deeds of our hearts, the, the secret desires of our hearts, and, and then us to be able to repent and say, God, oh, take that from me, God. I want my only desire to be you and your kingdom. That's how it starts. John wrote how it started with him so that we would know how it could start for us. That's what he's calling us into. We've got to say, is it time? Do I now want this more than anything else? What will you do with your free time? What will you do with your extra money? Maybe you'll downsize homes. Maybe you'll move across town. Maybe you'll stop saying yes to a whole bunch of things in your life that you like to do in order to choose to do the very things that Christ is calling you to do. Who knows what that might look like? Obedience is better than sacrifice. It's not about just making every kind of sacrifice. It's about hearing from him, hearing from him collectively, and us going, you know what? With one heart, with one mind, let's do this. And that's what he's calling us into, the movement of Jesus through a movement of prayer that will lead to a movement of proclaiming the gospel and seeing the works of Christ, which will lead to other people becoming disciples and learning to follow Jesus and be filled with the Spirit. And this will go on and on and on. That's how you came into it. And that's how others will come into it. And we have the privilege and the honor to sell all we have, all our other desires, to sell them all again 
I don't care if you did that 10 years ago. I don't care if you did that five years ago. You got to do it again today. What is it, God? What idols am I holding on to? What other desires do I have that are greater than this one desire? Search me. Teach me. Show me that the life of Jesus may be in me and through me in such a beautiful way that the hurting and the lost will see it and they'll say, this man, this woman led me to the living waters. Amen. Father, we have no power. Though you have bestowed upon us your name, though you've bestowed upon us great honor and glory, we come to you and say, no, we are but your humble servants. We're just average Joes. But if you'll do it, if you'll say it, if you'll speak it through me, I'll open my mouth. If you'll move in my heart, God, I'll begin to pray like I've never prayed before. So Lord, we ask you to move in our lives, move in our hearts, and let this church become a movement. No longer just a gathering of individuals, but a unified family, a unified body being sent to every workplace, every school, every playground, every, every place of eating, everywhere we go, we're looking for that Samaritan woman. We're looking for that individual who's hungering and thirsting for the living waters. And we're saying, here we are, Lord. Use me. Bring these living waters to us, God. Refresh us again that we maybe have more than enough to pour out to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.